to um, throw this question out there. It's kind of similar to the question from our first uh, sermon in this series. And the question is, have you ever been overwhelmed by your fears? You know, there are seasons where we seem to be sailing on clear waters. Uh, everything is clear and, and there's no problems. But then there are seasons when storm clouds move in quickly and we feel overcome by the fears that surround us. We lose sight of the perfect love that casts out fear. We become overwhelmed and let those fears surround us. We begin to believe that our fears are greater than God's ability to overcome them. We find ourselves overcome. And so this week I came across a great illustration of what that looks like. Have any of you read any C.S. Lewis, especially the uh, Narnia series? Has anybody? Yeah. Yeah, see, see a lot of hands, and some of you probably online have read it too. Well, in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of the Narnia books, uh, a young girl named Lucy and her family are on a sea voyage, and they come to an island called the, the place, or the, yeah, the island where dreams come true. But it's actually the place where nightmares come true. Everyone on the ship is all of a sudden terrified. They hear these sounds, and they begin rowing in fear in the darkness that suddenly comes upon them. Everyone on the ship hears a different sound. Uh, Some hear these giant scissors. Others hear enemies climbing up the side of the ship. Others hear these crashing gongs of an army. And in that moment of terror, Lucy prays to Aslan, the great lion, the Christ figure of the Narnia series. And she says, if you ever loved us at all, send us help now. The outward darkness didn't grow any less, but Lucy realized that nothing bad had happened to them yet. In the next moment, a ray of light fell on the ship, and Lucy saw this albatross suspended in the sky. It actually looked like a cross that was suspended in the sky above the ship. And then the albatross flew around the ship, landed on the mast, and began to lead them through the darkness. Only Lucy hears it whisper, courage, dear heart, in Aslan's voice. The darkness then turns to grayness, and finally they come out into the sunlight. There in the bright blue world, the sailors, Lucy, everyone on board realizes that There was nothing to be afraid of and never had been. You know, it reminds me of this saying that was popularized some time ago about fear, that it's false evidence appearing real. Has anybody heard that before? False evidence appearing real. Those terrifying sounds that Lucy and the other sailors heard seemed real, but nothing bad happened to them. Their only true danger was running the ship aground in their panic. When the darkness gave way, they realized their fears were unfounded, that the fears that nearly overwhelmed them were only false evidence appearing real. As the Jesus of the Narnia series, Aslan sends an albatross to to teach the people on that ship an important lesson. And it's the same lesson I believe we've been learning over the last five weeks, which is found in 1 John 4.18. And that reads... There is no fear in love, but let's say this together. Perfect love casts out fear. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, with respect to Narnia, that's not to say that your fears aren't real. You know, many of our fears are based on realities that we face in our world. You know, this series alone, we've talked about the fear of change, the fear of God, the fear of other people, and the fear of sickness and death. 
Maybe there's another fear that you're struggling with that is threatening to overwhelm you. If there is, I've left a space in the sermon notes for you to jot it down. You don't have to share it with anyone else, but there's power in naming our fears. Your fears are real, yes, but the idea that they're somehow greater than the God who is perfect love is false evidence appearing real because perfect love casts out fear. This morning, I wanted to wrap up our series by sharing with you a biblical method for casting out your fears, whatever those fears happen to be. And to do this, I need to share a little background on the story that we have today. Today, we come to what was quite possibly the second most stressful day of Jesus' life. It started by hearing that his cousin and his forerunner, John the Baptist, had just been murdered by King Herod. John was very special to Jesus, not just as his forerunner, but as someone in whom God was working in mighty ways. As if that wasn't stressful enough, Jesus' disciples returned at that same moment uh, from a successful ministry tour, and they didn't come alone. They were at practically the head of an army. So Jesus tries to get them to come away to a quiet place to rest, but the crowd persists, and it becomes hungry, and it becomes needy, and Jesus shows the crowd compassion, and he brings about this great miracle that we know as the feeding of the 5,000. It's a great story, not a bad way to end a stressful day, right? Well, wrong. A little-known fact uh, comes from the Gospel of John 6.15, that after Jesus performed this miracle, the scriptures tell us that the people forcibly tried to make Jesus their king. You see, Jesus gave them what they wanted, and they wanted to use Jesus for their own agenda. If the people had their way, a rebellion against Rome and the religious establishment would have started right there. But Jesus was never called to be an earthly king over one nation. He was called to be a a, a heavenly king over all creation. That isn't a work that can be forced by human hands. And so what does Jesus do? He sends his disciples across a lake and he tells the crowd to clear out and go home. Now put yourself in the disciples' sandals for a minute. When they came back from their ministry tour, they were excited, but they were also exhausted mentally and physically. When they heard John the Baptist had been put to death, they likely experienced this perfect cocktail of the fears that we've talked about during this series. They experienced the fear of others, namely Herod, and they experienced the fear of death, realizing that what happened to John could easily happen to them as well. The death of John also marked a great change. You and I know that any change in our lives can provoke fear in us. And finally, they likely experienced the fear of God in their confusion and their grief over why this all happened in the first place. Then this great need of the crowd comes before them. They're exhausted emotionally, physically. They're overcome by their fears. They're unable to serve, and they come to the end of themselves. Now, just think about the storms Jesus faced in this one day, a storm of grief over the loss of John the Baptist, a storm of ambition now that the disciples had returned from a successful ministry tour, a storm of great need as the crowds grew hungry and there was not enough food to go around, and a storm of unmet expectations when the people eyed Jesus with the the intention of putting him at the head of an army. When it rains, it pours, right? Maybe we've all had days kind of like this. Storms are certain in our lives, and if Jesus experienced them, guess what? We're going to experience them too. 
So how can we cast out our fears in the midst of all these storms? This morning, I want to share a biblical method for casting out your fears that emerges from the events immediately following everything that we just talked about. The first way to cast out your fears is to prioritize prayer every day. Jesus is now alone, and here's what he does in response to the fears of his disciples and his stress that he is experiencing. We find it in Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus, is, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Church family, we see Jesus model a rhythm of prayer throughout his life. He didn't just pray in public, but he also took the time to get away and to pray in private as well. Prayer nurtures our relationship with God. It builds our confidence and helps us to see that the Father is at work in the midst of our fears. Lucy prayed to Aslan, and he responded by guiding them to a place where they discovered their fears were unfounded. Prayer is the place where the voice of God whispers, don't be afraid. We need to hear this, to be reminded that it isn't just good advice, but the command behind every command. It challenges us to live out the gospel life much like Jesus. At another time, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. This is one of the most important questions that there is. Often we pray because we're, we're desperate. We want to see God do something in our lives or in the lives of the people that we love. And though intercession is part of the Lord's prayer, it's not the first part, and it's certainly not the most important part. No, the first part is adoration of our Heavenly Father. This means recognizing who God is and that God is worthy of our praise. That's the definition of worship. It means ascribing worth to the object of our worship. It means confessing that if God simply gave us Jesus and nothing else, that it would be enough. Prayer involves asking for things, yes, but it also is grounded in a relationship with the Father that often goes beyond words. Prayer can be silent. Prayer can be song. Prayer can be spoken word. But prayer is always a form of worship that invites us, that invites the perfect love of God to cast out our fears. Jesus didn't just pray when times were tough. He didn't just pray because this was the second most stressful day of his life. He prayed every day. If you don't have a daily practice of prayer, then you'll be overcome by your fears and disconnected from the perfect love that casts them all out. Prayer is sustaining and empowering. Without it, you'll be overcome. And that leads to the second way to cast out your fears, and that's this, to prepare for heavy waves. As Jesus is praying, the disciples find themselves in a literal storm as they row across the Sea of Galilee. We see this in verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles north to south and seven miles east to west. It's as much as 686 feet below sea level. And what this means is that as strong winds develop, they swoop down the, the high elevation into the bowl of the Sea of Galilee, and they quickly will cause a storm. Well, you might be wondering, uh, weren't 
some of the disciples fishermen? Shouldn't they have known better? Well, yeah, they knew the signs. The trouble is that they weren't prepared. See, they were so focused on their own concerns and the fears that were clouding their hearts that they missed the obvious. And it's same for us. Jesus warned us that in this life you will have, what? Trouble. That in this life you will have trouble. Nobody is exempt. And yet our fears overwhelm us. We find ourselves prepared for heavy waves, even though we should see them coming. Prayer gives us the spiritual insight to prepare for heavy waves. Prayer also helps us to realize that heavy waves are nothing to be afraid of. In fact, God can use those things for our growth. Earlier, we talked about the albatross and how it guided Lucy's ship uh, out of the darkness. Did you know that with a wingspan of close to 11 feet, an albatross spends 18 months at sea landing only on the water, that it needs the turbulent waves below it and and the winds that are uh, developed by those waves to stay in the air. And what this means is that an albatross needs storms to thrive. And as much as I hate to say this, we need storms to thrive as well. We need to prepare for heavy waves and the fear those kind of circumstances can bring because our desire for God and our willingness to allow God to cast out our fears will be tested and developed in strong winds and heavy rains. And when we're prepared for heavy waves, perfect love casts out our fear and grows our faith in Jesus. You see, the disciples didn't have a daily rhythm of prayer. They were running on empty. All they needed was just one more thing to happen, to go wrong, for them to be at their wits' ends. And that one thing came in the form of a storm as they sailed across a body they weren't prepared to go across. This leads to the third way to cast out your fears, and that's this, to expect God's presence. You'd think the disciples would turn to prayer in their desperation, but if they did, there's no mention of it in Matthew's gospel. What they needed was an albatross, and that's exactly what they got because Jesus came to them in their hour of need. We can find it in verse 25. Between three and six o'clock in the morning, he came to them. He was walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost, and began to scream because they were afraid. Immediately, Jesus said, calm down, it's me. Don't be afraid. Jesus didn't act right away, but let his disciples struggle on the water for a few hours. Because they weren't grounded in prayer, the disciples weren't only uh, unprepared for the storm, they didn't expect God's presence. When they first spotted Jesus, they were terrified. They thought he was a ghost, some kind of spirit that meant them harm. In your fears, have you ever misunderstood God's intention? Have you ever thought that God meant you harm, but he only meant to help you? Our fear of God can sometimes cause us to kick and thrash in the waters when we feel like we're drowning. We fight against our helper in fear. That's why lifeguards will often not swim out to somebody in a clear panic. Often they'll throw in a a life preserver to them to avoid being pulled under the water themselves. Now, I don't think Jesus was worried about being pulled under the water by his disciples, but he decided to keep his distance all the same. And the life preserver he threw out was his word. You know, in a few different translations, Jesus says, it is I. This is really similar 
to when God says to Moses, I am. So why is this significant? Because Jesus is claiming to be God in word and in deed. Only God can walk upon the waters of creation, the chaotic waters of creation. Only God can declare with any authority, I am who I am. It makes me realize that sometimes God needs to remind us who he is. Yes, the waves look terrifying, but they're nothing compared to the one who created them, the one who walks on them. Jesus won't abandon you in your fears. We don't want to be a panic-driven church. There's enough of that in the world. We're being called to be a presence-driven church. And the only way to do that is to expect God's presence by developing our spiritual sight through the practice of prayer. That leads to the fourth way to cast out your fears, and that's to stay focused on Jesus. Now, at this point, the disciples aren't entirely convinced, but Peter decides to take a chance. Here's what happens next, verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, many of us know this story well. Peter was doing all right until he started to focus on the winds, until he started to focus on the waves around him. And now those things started to become more real than the presence of Jesus. He was able to walk on water as long as he stayed focused on Jesus. The trouble is it's hard to stay focused on Jesus in this life. Like Peter, our eyes begin to stray and we see how mighty the storm is around us. Our fears become so real and Jesus becomes so distant, maybe even irrelevant. When we're rooted in the presence of God through prayer, we can walk over the waters, over the wildest waves because we stay focused on Jesus. St. Francis, who lived back in the 16th century, observed a custom in some of the provinces that he ministered in. He would often see a farm girl walking over to the town well, and when she put the, the pail into the water, before she pulled the brimming pail out of the water, she would put uh, a piece of wood in the water, in the pail. And one day, uh, Francis asks her, why do you do this? And she acts like, doesn't everybody know? I mean, you should know about this. And she tells him that it was to keep the water from spilling, to keep the water steady. Francis later wrote this. So when your heart is distressed and agitated, put the cross into the center of your heart to keep it steady. You see, when the storms and stresses of life cause us to fear the presence of Jesus and the cross at the center it creates a sense of calm, serenity, peace in our hearts. To cast out your fears in perfect love, you need to stay focused on Jesus, and you might just be surprised to find yourself walking on water. And that leads to the fifth way to cast out your fears, and that's to worship Jesus as Lord. Not just to worship Jesus, but to worship Jesus as Lord. Let me explain what I mean. Verse 32 and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. 
You know, as soon as Jesus stepped into the boat, the winds died down, the storm went away. Now Jesus was more real than the storm around them. Their fear subsided. Like Lucy and the sailors in Narnia, they realized there was nothing to be afraid of and never had been. The problem we often face is we compartmentalize Jesus in our lives. If Jesus is only part of your life, you're allowing him little power over your life. Like the water in the pail, our hearts need to cross the center to stay steady. When Jesus is Lord, we acknowledge that he's greater than our fear, but we often act like our fears are greater. When that happens, we start to chase after earthly things. We begin to substitute idols for the living God. Are you content to confine Jesus to one hour on Sunday every week, or will you give him the rest of the 167 hours of your week? Is Jesus truly your Lord? When we worship Jesus as Lord, it makes us hungrier for his presence and moves us back again to the place where we desire prayer. God has a purpose for each of us, and we need to prioritize prayer, prepare for heavy waves, expect God's presence, stay focused on Jesus, and worship him as Lord if we hope to remain fruitful. Because all these things enable perfect love to cast out fear. And when that happens, we can be used by God in amazing ways. And finally, that leads to the sixth way to cast out our fear, and that's to step out together in faith. For the disciples, it's time to leave the boat. And when it's time to leave the boat, there's work to be done. Fortunately, we're not alone in that work. Verse 34, after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. We're prepared for ministry as perfect love cast out fear. As soon as the disciples got to shore, they stepped out of the boat together in faith, not in fear, and they began to serve the least and the lost. What does stepping out of the boat together look like? It means serving others with the love of Jesus. Serving others isn't easy. Over time, one of two things typically happens. We begin to become overwhelmed by our fears until we abandon the mission, or we're driven once again to prayer. You know, we lose our focus on Jesus because naturally over time, we revert to using our, uh, relying on our own giftedness our own resources rather than relying on our God. We lose focus on Jesus. We lose that sense of presence and forget to worship God. We forget to worship Jesus as Lord as our fears overwhelm us. Our doing for God has been hijacked, or our doing has hijacked our being in God's presence. The disciples served the 5,000 out of a deficit of prayer and a lack of faith. Now they serve in the abundance of Jesus' amazing love. And that perfect love is rooted in and expressed through the practice of prayer. When we're, rooted, when we're not rooted in prayer, that fear creeps back in. Soon enough, we aren't preparing for heavy waves. We're not expecting God's presence. We lose our focus on Jesus. And when that happens, we may still worship Jesus, but we don't worship Jesus as Lord because we allow our problems to become bigger than Jesus. 
And being overwhelmed in fear, we become isolated from each other, no longer stepping out in faith with others to serve, but hiding in our fear. You know, Bill Farrell once told a story of his son, Caleb, who'd been watching other children at a summer camp, climbing up a tree and jumping from a tree limb 30 feet below into the river. And uh, Caleb wanted very much to prove his courage to be a part of the action. So he swam across the river, he climbed up the tree, waited his turn, shimmied out on the ledge and froze. Slowly, he began to edge back along the tree branch, and that's when alarm bells went off in Bill's mind. You know, Bill realized that the risk of jumping was slight, but the damage to Caleb's self-respect in not jumping could last for years. So he called out, Caleb, you're thinking about it too much. You already know it'll work. I'm going to count to three, and you jump. And he did, and Caleb jumped, and he emerged from the water just grinning. And when he came back to shore, they exchanged high fives. Bill told him how proud he was of him. And they celebrated Caleb's victory over fear together. Because perfect love casts out fear. We need others in the faith, people who have been there, people who can reassure us that you already know it'll work. Why? Because Jesus told us it will. Because Jesus modeled for us a biblical method for casting out your fears. And the most important truth I want to share with you this morning is this. Casting out your fears is rooted in prayer. Each of us need to prioritize prayer every day because when we do, we're prepared for heavy waves. We're rooted in God's presence and focused on Jesus, worshiping him as Lord. And when that happens, we're empowered to step out together to do God's work. This is what it means to be the church, but we can't be the church of Jesus Christ if we're not rooted in prayer. So family, how do we pray? Earlier I mentioned that Jesus was asked by his disciples the exact same question. How do we pray? Teach us how to pray. Well, Jesus answered with what we call the Lord's Prayer. And though it isn't quite in the same order, the famous Acts, A-C-T-S, model of prayer follows Uh, a slightly different pattern, but it has all the same elements. ACT stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I mentioned before that the most important part of prayer is adoration, recognizing God for who he is, that he's worthy of our praise. This establishes our prayer as a moment of worship set apart to lift up the name of Jesus. Then comes our confession, that we're sinners saved by grace, that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves, and that we desperately need Jesus in our lives. Confession puts us in a place for God to remove barriers that are in our lives, whether that's idols we're chasing, sins we've committed, our fears that threaten to overwhelm us. Thanksgiving is simply recognition for all God has done, that God has given us his son for our salvation, and that God has given us everything else as well. And supplication comes last. These are the things that we ask God for. Too often we skip all these other things and we go directly to supplication, but that's only part of prayer. Powerful prayer is rooted in our confidence in who God is and what he's done, coupled with our confession that we desperately need Jesus. This is only one example. And throughout the centuries, many theologians, many people who have gone before us have come up with, uh, have studied prayer, have practiced prayer, and have come up with different models that can be helpful. 
The Psalms themselves are a book of prayers that can give us language when we're lost for words. So many people have written about prayer and there's no lack of direction out there. It simply comes down to whether you believe casting out your fears is rooted in prayer, whether you believe living a life, a fruitful life of faith is rooted in spending quality time with Jesus. Last story, the preacher George Wood told the story of his sister that when he was a boy, she attended uh, uh, Central Bible College. She had a lifelong problem up to that point with her eyesight. Uh, she had 20% vision in one eye, 50% vision in the other. She wore these really thick glasses. Well, during a fall revival, she prayed at an altar and saw a vision of Jesus on the cross. She sensed God was telling her to take off her glasses. And in fear that it was too good to be true, she told God no. God repeated, take off your glasses. She said no again. The third time God repeated the instruction, she believed. Convinced it was really God, she prayed, Lord, if I take these glasses off, I never want to put them on again. And when she opened her eyes from that prayer, she had perfect vision perfect vision. And she didn't need, even 50 years down the road, did not need to get glasses. You see, prayer opens our eyes when we least expect it, when we least expect it, and puts everything in perspective. It's like Lucy and the sailors in Narnia all over again. Darkness and fear give way to light and the assurance that Jesus Christ is with us and that the cross at the center holds us steady. Because when we prioritize prayer every day, we're prepared for heavy waves. We expect Jesus' presence, stay focused on Jesus, and worship him as Lord. Then we step out in faith together, despite our fears for the work that God has for each of us. No matter what fears threaten to overwhelm you, I hope you've come to understand and to know that perfect love casts out fear. And casting out your fears is rooted in prayer. Because when you pray, you'll see Jesus become far more real than any fear. And that's good news. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks, we give you praise for all of your love and all of your blessing in Jesus Christ for us. God, we want, we want to know how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray. Lord, help us to use models like the Lord's Prayer, like Acts, like all these other models out there in order to grow in this vital discipline that we often neglect. God, casting out our fears and perfect love, that's a work that you do, but it's, it's mediated through the practice of prayer. And so God, if, if we're struggling with prayer as a church, that should be our first priority. We should be focused on growing in this discipline, both individually and collectively. So God, give us a thirst for your presence. Give us that assurance that you're with us. Keep our eyes focused on you so that we don't sink beneath the crashing waves around us. Lord, your love, your presence are far, far more real than any fear, than any troubles, than any stresses that we have in our life right now. Help us to believe that in this moment that we may have full confidence in the God of grace. Thank you, Lord, 
for hearing us. Thank you, Lord, for coming in person, for taking the cross, for making a way where there was no way that we can know you, that we can be saved by you, sanctified by you, that we can be made new. So God, today, increase our thirst for your word, increase our thirst for your presence, and make us, Lord, a presence-driven church for your kingdom. We give you thanks, we give you praise, honor, and glory in all these things we pray in the mighty and awesome and powerful and all-sufficient name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.